The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Uh, I'm excited to get into the Word, but before we do that, I want to share something with you that is just really uh, on, on my mind this morning, on my mind and on my heart. And one of the things that you would see in the bulletin there when we were going through it is the, the prayer uh, focus. And we put a passage of Scripture in there to focus on in, in our prayer time so that we can be unified in those things. And I'm sure for most people, it's probably something that is uh, uh, embraced casually, if, if at all. I mean, that's just normally how things like that work. This prayer focus is about your mind, your mind being renewed. Uh, and really and truly, for that to even be a part of your prayer focus, a, a very amazing and powerful thing has to take place. You have to be desiring to be changed. You know, I mean, if you're asking God to renew your mind, basically you're asking him to, to change you. Uh, to make changes and, and see things. And that's a really incredible thing to consider. Uh, when we look at what God's doing in our lives, the question is, are, are we willing to change and be transformed? He's made the promise to do it. He's made the provision through Jesus, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's phenomenal, everything that God has done on our behalf. Now when we see these passages of Scripture, the question is, are we changing or are we staying the same? Well, there's something that has is, is really impacted me, and it's, you know, sometimes you see things and you hear things and it has an effect on you. I've, I've been in situations where, where I've listened to, to, whether it's news headlines or, or seen activities, and it's moved me, uh, you know, mentally or emotionally, uh, sometimes spiritually, and I really want to ask you to consider joining me in something as it concerns prayer and intercession. You know, prayer is one thing. Intercession is another thing. Intercession operating in the anointing and the power of God in your life to, to do things, to accomplish things uh, through your, your prayer life. And, and I really want us to be aware of what's going on on the other side of the world in Afghanistan. I know that that has been a, a long-standing uh, you know, war on terror. There's been troops there. We live in a, a, a military town with Dias Air Force Base. So Afghanistan's nothing new to us, but I want you to know that you're not going to see accurate reports through our media of what's going on there right now. There are people who have fought for freedom that will now be targeted and their families will be butchered, and you'll never see it or hear about it, and I really think that the church needs to wake up and intercede, that there needs to be a, a, an awareness and a calling and a, a sense of purpose and duty to, to wage spiritual warfare against the murderous spirit that is loose in that nation. And, and that's really the call. I mean, when we sit down to, to pray and to intercede, consider that. Consider the spirits that are at work. I mean, the word says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and, and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. I mean, those are four things that are listed that we actually do uh, struggle with and that we do wrestle with, that we do war against. So the, the idea of praying against something like the Taliban, those are men that need Jesus. The, the things that we ought to be waging war against is the spirit of murder, the deception of Islam, 
the things that are driving the actions that are, are going to lead to the shedding of innocent blood all across that country. And, and I, I was, I'm not old enough to have lived through days like Vietnam, but I can tell you, abandoning those people to face the rage, the hate, and the murderous spirit that exists in the Taliban is, is I believe, an ungodly thing. And the church ought to celebrate its call to intercede, and we need to include that in our prayer time. There is no doubt about that. And again, like I said, you're not going to see it in our media. You won't hear about it in our newspapers. It will be uh, completely and totally ignored for the purpose of saving face. But there is, uh, there's no doubt that there is a need for Jesus to be revealed. And I can tell you, you know, during the, the praise and worship time, those were the things that were stirring in me to pray and bringing down the deception and, and asking God to open their eyes. I mean, at one point, the, the prayer was, you know, Father, send a, a holy wind across that land. Bring men to their knees, those that are, are planning and plotting evil and murder right now. Let them see Jesus. Give them visions. Give them dreams. Let their ears be open to hear the voice of Jesus. Let the truth prevail. And, of course, that's where we're going this morning is truth. But I want to encourage you to break out of routine. I mean, it gets busy. Life gets busy. We have schedules and deadlines and, and activities, and those things are interrupted by things that are disappointing or frustrating. But I want to remind you about your call to be a force for righteousness and a force for the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. And I really believe that God's stirring that not only in me, but hopefully in the congregation here to see great and, and wonderful things. And though we may never know the effects of our prayers, of our intercession, that's no reason to be slow to embrace that call. I remember once standing in, in West Africa, and I believe it was the, the first time that I'd ever been there. I went with a, a, a gentleman who has a very powerful ministry there. I went to basically carry his luggage and be there with him as a, a support. It was, it's kind of dangerous to travel by yourself in some parts of the world. And so I was there basically to, to be a support to him. And while we were flying over there, he said, hey, you know, because you're traveling with me, they may ask you to speak. And just be prepared if they do. And, and so I, I took that and, and, and was prepared. And, of course, they did. And the, the gentleman that I was there with ended up getting sick. And I carried a lot of the meetings. And it was really amazing what God did in those meetings. But I remember the first one being so moved and grieved in my spirit at the corruption that existed in the nation there. That, that people, families, lives, they suffered greatly because of the greed and, and the deceit and the self-serving corruption in, in high levels of government. And, you know, it was very easy just to have church as usual, to stand up as a guest and say, please turn in your Bibles too. I, I have a great word for you this morning. And instead, we stopped that service. And I asked everyone to, to stand with me and come into an attitude of agreement, to, to, to pray in the natural, pray in the spirit, but I want you to pray, and what I want you to do is I want you to bind the spirit of corruption that is tormenting the people of this nation. And we did. We began to pray. And, and let me tell you something. In West Africa, when you call people to pray, it is like the Bible describes, the sound of many waters, you know. 
And, and there are times where you pray and you don't even know what you're praying for. That's why there's the gift of tongues. And, and if you don't have that gift, pursue it. Seek it from God so that you can pray in your spirit and be moved in your spirit, man, to pray for those that you may not even know who they are or where they're at. And we began to pray in that meeting, and, and it was maybe 10 minutes, which, by the way, is a long time. You know, I've tried to bring that back to the States and have meetings, and you're lucky if you get 10 seconds of corporate prayer before it goes quiet, you know. And, and when, the, when the prayer time stopped, then it was just time to move on. That's when it was, hey, turn in your Bibles too, and I brought a, a word for them. And what's funny was what happened a, a couple of days later when we were in our next meeting, and I remember bringing the, the newspaper to the meeting. And the headline was a headline that revealed a, a raid on a corrupt politician, and they seized Billions of dollars from the home with a B. They had hidden cash in, in water tanks and buried it all over the billions with a B. One family had stolen all of this money. And I held up that newspaper and I wanted to just show the headline for this pur purpose. The, the point was nobody could ever prove that our prayer caused that. But, but what I told the congregation is you can't prove it didn't. You can't prove that it didn't. And when we come together and begin to intercede and not wage war against people, but wage war against the spirits that are driving those people, when we pray for the people's redemption, when we pray for justice, when we cry out for those things, God moves. And my heart's broken for Afghanistan. You know, when I look at my sons, I think there are men like me who translated for U.S. soldiers, those families will be targeted, their wives and their children will be butchered in front of their eyes before they themselves are killed. That's how they do it. And we will never hear about it, we'll never see it, but we can wage war against it in the spirit, and I want to call you to do that, to bring down that murderous spirit of Islam. Now I want to get into the word because this is important to me. The truth is important. I want to talk about the truth the truth is you have a powerful anointing on your life. The truth is you have a call to intercede. The truth is you can change nations. The truth is you can bring down entire armies that are, are on the move, just like we discussed. You, you, can, you can bring down corruption at political levels. That's the truth. Now, we're surrounded by all of these lies and these distractions, things to just keep us busy and keep us occupied, keep us distracted from that powerful call on our life and cause us really and simply to, to waste our time. And I want to talk about truth to you. Here's a few things we're going to find. We're going to get into the message now. I love the Word of God. The Word of God is the, the power of God for deliverance to those who believe. That's you. That's me. That's why we're here. And I really want to trust that the Word's going to have a powerful impact on us this morning. There's a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word. One is what Jesus is saying to believers. If you are a Christian, you're a believer. You believe Jesus is the Messiah, that God sent him that he took your place on the cross, taking the wrath of God out of the way, that God raised him up from the grave because he himself was sinless and death had no claim on him, and God has exalted him uh, to his right hand where he rules and reigns forever. If you are a believer in those things, you are a believer. So what Jesus is saying to believers, what Jesus is saying to Christians. Another thing that we're going to find is where the Holy Spirit is leading you. The Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you where he's leading you and guiding you at any given time. And if we are not being moved in that direction, then we're not following his leading. That's something that we ought to be aware of. 
The third thing that we're going to find is why winning is always an option. I like the word victory. I, I use the word victory a lot in my own vocabulary. So when I read why winning is always an option, my mind thinks, you know, victory. Why victory is always an option. It's always an option. Winning is always an option, no matter how something looks, no matter how desperate you feel, no matter how uh, hopeless. In fact, hopelessness is a lie. Winning is always an option. So I want to get right in. What Jesus is saying to believers, if you have your Bibles, I want you to, to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. Jesus is speaking in John, chapter 8. He's speaking to a group of people that he identifies as believers and I want us to notice what he says to these believers. John chapter 8, I want to begin in verse 31. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus is speaking, and it begins like this in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. So I pause right there because now these people are believers. Whether they were Jew or Gentile, when you believe in Jesus, you are a believer. As the word would put it, the one new man, that is the, the Christian, whatever term you want to use to, to fit your vocabulary, these people are identified as believers. It's very important that we notice that, that Jesus isn't talking to unbelievers, but he's talking to believers. Now, I know I've kind of driven that home, but it's very important that we catch that. So Jesus is saying to this group of believers, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now these believers answered and they said, well, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say we'll become free? Then Jesus answered and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone that commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son makes you free, you're free indeed. There's a couple of things that I want to comment on there. And I think it's really important that we understand this, that when Jesus says that if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, what he's not doing is stating the, the roadmap for being a Christian, where it's based on works. He's not doing that. He's not saying, hey, if you do these things that I say, then you'll qualify for Christianity. There are a lot of false religions that are built on qualifications, achievements, and ranks, and whatnot. That's not Christianity. Our Christianity is founded upon faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith is founded upon uh, uh, the, our belief in Jesus Christ, and there's, there's no other way. There's no way to achieve. There's no way to accomplish your way into heaven. Just like was revealed in, uh, prophetically by Jesus himself, he is the way, the truth, and the life and there's no other way to the Father but through him. So when he's saying this, when he's saying, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, what he's revealing is, is the effects of being his disciple. Not what's required to be his disciple, but rather what happens when you are. When we come into the kingdom of God, when we enter in, there should be an effect that's revealed. The result. I mean... To have the, the power of, of the kingdom of heaven, to have the power of the Holy Ghost, to have the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords active in your life will probably result in something, don't you think? It will probably have an effect on your thoughts. It will probably have an effect on your actions. I mean, you want to know something funny? Putting a slice of pizza 
into me has an effect on me. I mean, eating a taco too late has an effect on me. If you put the Almighty God inside of me, I can assure you there's going to be an effect. So what we're not seeing here is, hey, here's the the hoops you need to jump through in order to be a Christian. Here are the hurdles that you need to go over in order to cross that finish line and make it official. What he's saying is, hey, when you enter into me, when you and I are one, there's going to be an effect. You're going to continue in my word. You're going to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free from what? Free from all the garbage thinking that your life is inferior, that your life has no effect, that there's nothing you can do. I got news for you. Even though Afghanistan's on the other side of the world, there's a lot you can do because of Jesus. Jesus is revealing these things to us in a a loving and and directing way, letting us know where our freedom is. Now, I want to point out this last line, because this last line is really important to me. When when Jesus says, uh, so if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Well, I don't really use that word unless I'm trying to sound fancy, right? Like, indeed, sir, you know what I mean? I mean, if I'm trying to be funny and, and my wife came to me and she said, hey, would you like to, you know, go and, and have this for dinner? And, you know, I might say, well, indeed, madam, you know, or just to be goofy. I don't use that word all the time. Most of the time I would say something like sure or yes or yeah or, or, or something along those lines. But the word indeed is a really interesting and amazing word. It doesn't just acknowledge, you know, in a positive way like yes, a response to something, but rather it reveals that it's going to be lived out. I mean, think about what that word is made of. It's made up of two words, right? In, indeed. Indeed. Like, I'm going to do it. When you read this passage of Scripture, Jesus is saying something. He's saying, when I make you free, you'll be free indeed. In the things that you do, you'll be free. In your deeds, you will be free. There will be this this obvious, visible, tangible liberation. You're going to be changed. Your actions will be different. When I set you free, you'll be free indeed. That liberation is in the the calling and the anointing and the, the wonderful empowerment that God's placed upon our lives to do just like Jesus, tear down the works of the devil and expand the kingdom of God. You're the light of the world to overcome darkness. I want to give you a passage of scripture here because we're going, to, we're going to be talking about that truth that sets us free. 1 John chapter 1, I want to look at verses 8 and 9. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Here's what John writes. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. I mean, that's a pretty desperate statement to make. It's, it's very, very, very concerning when you get to that point. Now, here's where you see the term, the solution that's being revealed. But if, but if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse and purify us from all unrighteousness. Being purified, meaning to be washed away. I mean, I see those things as, as separate. You don't have to see them as separate. You can see them as the same, those things being forgiveness and cleansed. I mean, there are things that I've done that I'm forgiven. There are things that I will do, and I've been forgiven. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. 
But that does not mean that my, my mind isn't affected, my heart isn't affected. There are things that I will do that will, will produce cleansing. I mean, it, when you uh, do something that you know is wrong, does it affect your heavenly destination? Does it cancel out your new birth or your salvation? Is your name just completely erased from the Lamb's book of life? The answer to that would be no. Do you feel shame for what you did? Well, for me, the answer to that is yes. There are things I've done, and I'm ashamed that I did them. So then what do I do to respond to that shame? Well, most of the time it's confess. Most of the time it's go to the person that I wronged and, and tell them, hey, I wronged you. That doesn't put me back on the list to heaven because I was never taken off, but it does help cleanse the conscience and, and cleanse the effects on my mind and heart. It's cleansing and purifying. So I see these things, forgiveness and, and cleansing, I see these things as different. You're welcome to see it however you want. But I see that that's involved with truth. When we can tell the truth, it opens up the door for a very liberating effect so that we can then be free in our deeds and not have to carry that burden. So here's the, the, where I want to go as we get into truth. I mean, it's like, what, what does that mean? What is the truth? Well, the question really isn't what is the truth, but it's who is the truth. And it's because the truth is not a thing, rather the truth is the Word of God, and the Word of God is a person, and that person is Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus declares himself, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's important for us to consider that Jesus is the truth. There are so many people out there looking for some element of truth to apply to their life. They're searching for their identity, their purpose, the, the meaning of life itself. And you're not going to find it in anything. Rather, the only place that you will find it is in the one that is Jesus Christ. So there's a trap that's set for us to, to interpret life through. And we need to be careful. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. We've talked about this before, so for some of us it may sound familiar, but Isaiah 5.20, Isaiah 5.20 says, woe to those, now we don't really talk like that, it just means, hey, this isn't good, this is a bad thing. Woe to those that call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light or light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet or sweet for bitter. So it's got a bit of a proverb thing going there. But when you look at that, what you realize is saying, hey, it's bad when you get this wrong. When you think something's good, but it's really bad. Or when you think something's bad and it's really good. So the problem with this is it's relative. It, it's subject to interpretation. I mean, there are things that certain people in this country think are good that I think are bad. There are things that, that I think are bad and certain people in this country think are good. There are things that I think are bad and certain people in this congregation think are good. There are things that certain people in this congregation think are good. I think they're bad. They're, you could flip-flop it and go back and forth all day long. That's relative. It all depends on, on, on so many things, personal convictions, personal politics, personal... And, and it ends up being divisive to do that. So the challenge here is, is how do we handle this? Well, generally, men don't handle this very well. And what we do is we start making our lists. Well, these things are good and these things are bad. And if you think these bad things are good, we hate your guts. And you can go to church down the street. I mean, that's how we do it. We divide. We, we create identity politics and we become very divisive. Everything that's anti-Christ, we generally do. And that's really unfortunate. 
So really the best solution here is to stop seeing things in good and bad because that's relative. And to start seeing things as we should, as truth or lie. Good or bad is relative, but truth and lie is not. It's either true or it's false. It's either true or it's a lie. The lie can't be true ever. The truth can't be a lie ever. And really and truly, this is how things are divided when we see the Scripture. I mean, Satan is the father of lies and everything he says is a lie. The Scripture you can stand on there is John 8, 44. John 8, 44, Jesus is talking. He's talking about Satan, and he says he's a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and he is the father of all lies. Now, if we want to see the the alternative or or God's response to this this lie, you'll see the Holy Ghost in John 16, 13. Jesus is talking, and he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And he says, but when he, the Holy Spirit, that is the Spirit of truth, what an interesting name for the Holy Ghost. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, remember earlier we gave three things we were going to find. One of those things is where is the Holy Spirit leading you? You just saw it. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but what he hears from the Father, he will speak and disclose to you. Truth and lie. If we can begin to see things in this world through truth and lie and decipher accurately what's true and what's a lie, there will be no calling evil good or good evil. And in this situation, what we see is that the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, has been sent into your life, which, by the way, is the reason for the cross. It's the reason for every aspect of the ministry of Jesus Christ. That is the finish line. If we stop at the cross, we've missed the point. If we stop at the empty tomb, we've missed the point. You've got to get to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's why God did all of this for you. Jesus said it himself. He said, I go away. And it's for your benefit that I go away. If I don't go, the helper won't come. Jesus is telling you that's the point. The point is the Holy Spirit. If I don't go away, the helper won't come. What he didn't say was, hey, if I don't go to the cross, you can't be forgiven. What he didn't say is, hey, if I don't come out of the grave, you can't live eternally. But what he said is, if I don't do this, you won't have the Holy Ghost. And that's the point. The point. Why? So that the Holy Ghost can lead you. Where is He leading you? Into the truth. Why? So that you won't be deceived and follow after a lie. So that you won't call good evil or evil good, but so that you will know what's true. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and that freedom will be revealed in and through your actions. It's a powerful thing, the truth. And it's under attack because of that. I mean, the truth is has been under attack from the beginning, but the attack is heightened today with with media and and all kinds of points of contact and and the voice of, of immorality gaining ground and getting louder and louder and louder. I mean, what would have been considered obscene and shut down just years ago, now you can put it on a billboard. 
I have to be careful where I drive my family. I remember living in Dallas and just thinking like, oh my God, how can I watch the road when I have to close my eyes when I pass every one of these strip club billboards? How can you put that on? I mean, it's like 60 feet. You shouldn't be looking at that. Remember walking through the mall thinking, well, I can't come here anymore because there's not much secret Victoria's got over there. I mean, can you, can you be more obscene? And I have a feeling they will find ways to be more obscene. But truth is under attack because truth is, is sanctifying. That's a word we don't use all the time. But John 17, 17 is when Jesus is praying for you. And when Jesus is praying for you, he asks God to do something. He says, Father, sanctify them in truth. Now, this is in the same breath with him saying, Don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world, but sanctify them in truth. Don't leave them unchanged. Rather, protect them, change them, give them everything they need to exist in this world, but not become this world. Give them everything they need to be just like me. And what that thing is, is the truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Well, we know that the word of God is not a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's why we have his spirit leading us and guiding us and leading us and guiding us again into what? Oh, into truth. I want to give you a a passage of scripture here from Ephesians, Ephesians 6. Now, Ephesians 6 talks about a number of things, uh, specifically the the armor of God, which is something that, that we could talk about all of those pieces. We've done it before, and I'm sure we'll do it again. But one of those pieces is is truth. It involves truth. But I want to give you this for your notes because you gotta see. Why it's important. In in verse 13, you'll find these words. Take up the full armor of God. Now then listen carefully to these next few words. So that you will be able. That means if we don't take up this full armor, we're not going to be able to do what comes next. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist evil doing everything necessary to stand firm. And then it goes on to to instruct us how to stand firm. It describes that armor. And the first piece on it is truth. It's a call. It says, gird your loins with truth. Now, that becomes a weird thing to to consider. I mean, you know, I remember in Sunday school, people kind of wanted to dodge that one, and so they just called it the belt of truth, right? That's close enough, isn't it? It's in the area. It's in the general vicinity. But there's something here that we need to understand in the the language and in the poetry. This is the point of, of reproduction and productivity. This is where creation takes place. Let me tell you how Peter refers to these loins. I'll give you a passage of scripture here. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. Now don't forget the wording, right? Gird your loins. Now here's Peter. Peter writing, inspired by the Holy Ghost, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now he describes what that is. Listen to this. Be sober. And hope to the very end for the grace that has been brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, basically what he's saying is, take control of the things in your mind. 
We do that with truth. What's that truth? That very hope that we have, the grace that God would bless us with in Jesus. It's a call for an effect on our thinking. I mean, how we live our lives is affected by how we think. It's our thoughts that first direct our actions, not our actions that direct our thoughts. Change your thinking and you'll change your actions. Sometimes we want to change our actions in order to change our thinking. And that opens up the door to an attempt to discipline things into existence. And while that can work for a little while, discipline is destined to fail. I always like to think about it as holding up a weight. You know, I mean, you can hold it for a little while. And the stronger you are, the longer you can hold it. And, you know, you start to think, man, I can do this all day long. Well, five minutes later, your arms are shaking. (laughs) All day long goes pretty quick. And next thing you know, you drop. But if we go backwards, if we try to change our actions in order to change our thinking, we'll we'll suffer discipline and disappointment because our life will be a roller coaster. It'll be good one day, bad the next, good one day, bad the next, good one day, bad the next, all because we're doing it wrong. We've got to change the way we think. And in this case, it's calling on God to do the work that he promised in our mind. Renew my mind by the Holy Ghost. Let my thoughts be affected by truth. Let my life be sanctified and affected by truth. Let truth come and have its way in me. Truth has been the point from the very beginning of Jesus Christ's work in my life. Let truth prevail in who I am and have its effect on every part of my identity. So that I can be sober in my thinking. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here as we close. These these are things, they're not... It's not a complete list. There are just a few things that stand out to me. How a sober mind thinks. How a sober mind thinks. A mind that has been affected by truth and therefore is operating in full spiritual sobriety. The first one, you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. You know, I'll I'll hear things, and and I've probably even said things before in the past as it concerns bad choices and bad decisions. You know, well, I just got swept away. There was nothing I could do. You know, I was overcome by that temptation or that urge, and so I I acted. And, and, you know, uh, one of the things that I've heard before, and I'm sure I've said it before, is is it would have happened to anybody. But let me give you what a sober mind, that is an intoxicated mind, that's not a sober mind. By the way, think about the opposite of sobriety as intoxication, right? Not just drunkenness, but intoxication. Intoxication has has got the word toxic in it, right? You've introduced poison into your body to the point that you are now operating in a state of being poisoned, intoxicated. So, A sober mind is going to think one way, and an intoxicated mind is going to think another way. The intoxicated mind thinks, well, I was overcome because there was nothing I could do, and and it would have happened to anyone who was there. It was just more than anyone could bear. Well, a sober mind will walk in the truth, and the truth is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That means temptation doesn't take over anything. Rather, it's surrendered to, it's submitted to. No temptation has overtaken you but the things that are common to men. And God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. That's a sober thought for you, isn't it? 
And we begin to purge our life of all these intoxicated thoughts. Well, you know, how is a man supposed to resist that? Or, or how is a woman not supposed to be drawn into that? That's intoxicated thinking. And we got to sober up. God, let the truth come that you've equipped us with everything we need to endure every temptation. That you've made a way for escape through every temptation. Here's another sober way of thinking for you, and I love this one. It's a personal favorite of mine. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Now, an intoxicated way of thinking is, is that there's nothing you can do, right? An intoxicated way of thinking, well, there was nothing I could do, Pastor. There was just nothing I could do. Oh, what's going on in Afghanistan is a shame, but there's nothing I can do, Pastor. What am I supposed to do? That's intoxicated thinking. Sober thinking can be found in Luke 10, 19. Behold, this is Jesus speaking, and he's talking to you. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the powers of the enemy, and nothing can injure you. I mean, the release that comes from understanding that passage of Scripture, that I have been given power, I have been given authority to go to work against all the evil that exists in this world, and that evil has no right to claim me, no right to touch me. That means I'm in God's hands. If it's my time to go, that's up to God, not evil. For you and for me, this is sober thinking. And when we begin to think sober, we step out of that poison thinking that keeps us in a stupor and not accomplishing that which we've been called and equipped to accomplish. Here's another sober thought for you, and this will be the last one. I mentioned before, we're going to find out why winning is always an option, why victory is always an option, why hopelessness is always a lie. Remember, we're learning to see the difference between truth and lie. I mean, words like, it's over. Words like, I'm done. Words like, it's finished. All of these things that, that are ultimate and absolute, that just cut off all ways for hope and for victory, those are all lies. And we've been anointed and called by the Holy Ghost to be led into truth, away from lies and into truth. Why winning is always an option, 1 John 4, verse 4. Why victory is always an option, 1 John 4, verse 4. Why overcoming is always an option, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it reads like this. You are from God. I mean, you could just stop there and let that wash over you. Let that affect you. You are from God. You come from Him. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome because. Now, here's where we're going to see the reason, right? Because, because why? Why have I overcome? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. No matter what scenario I face or deal with, no matter what situation, no matter what side of the world it's on, no matter uh, how well armed it is or how well equipped it is, no matter how bad or how dire the situation is, there is always hope for victory because the one that is inside of me is greater than the one that's in the world. No matter what. That's a sober thought. I mean, what a thing to pray. Father, purge my mind of this intoxication. Those thoughts that are toxic to my call to operate as your son, anointed in the power of the Holy Spirit, bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus. 
Purge my mind of all intoxicated thinking and let me be sober to walk in the truth and let the truth be revealed through my deeds, my actions, how I live my life. As Jesus has set me free, let me be free indeed. Deliver me from this intoxication and lead me into sobriety in your kingdom. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. As we purge our, our mind of, of intoxicated thinking, as the Holy Spirit goes to work in us and removes thoughts of, well, I can't do anything about that. Well, there's nothing I can do. As it removes thoughts of, well, it's hopeless, it's, it's over, That's, there's, there's no going back. As it removes thoughts like that, as He removes thoughts like that, as thoughts like that are removed from our lives, I want us to be positioned to make a way to, to embrace the sober thinking that replaces those intoxicated thoughts. It's just a simple uh, act of saying, I want that. I want that in my life. I mean, God is a giver of good gifts. Uh, we celebrate that with our children as we, we celebrate praise and worship and thanksgiving. And we can celebrate that in every aspect of our life as adults. Father, you've never stopped giving me good gifts. And as these things are purged from me, all of this intoxicated thinking is purged from my heart and my mind. I, I want to think like a sober man. I want to think like a sober woman. I want to think like a sober believer. I want the truth to prevail so that I'm not led astray, so that I don't call good evil or evil good, but so that I can stand firm on that which is eternal and I can do the things that you've called me to do as your child. And it's just that simple. I want that. Everything that I just heard, I want that. I want to pray and I want to ask God to bring this into our lives because I believe it's important, I believe it's necessary, and I believe that we will all be better for it and will love the effect. So there where you stand, I want to pray for us. Your attitude can be one of agreement or, or receiving, however you choose, however you're led by the Holy Spirit. To, to, to join. But I want to take a time, I want to take the time and I want to pray. I want to ask God to do these things for us. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We see the point of your word as being to transform our lives, to take out the things that are destructive and to introduce the things that give life. And we ask now for a deliverance from all intoxicated thinking that which is poisonous and hinders us from walking in what is, is powerful and what is real and what is true. Let it all be revealed for the lie that it is and let it be cast down. And we stand united here saying, I want the truth. I want the truth to affect my heart. I want the truth to affect my mind. I want the truth to be revealed in my deeds. I want the truth to be heard in my voice. I want the truth to prevail in every aspect of my life and my living so that the effects of the truth can be revealed to this world. So that we might walk in the powerful calling and anointing that you've made a way for, the very point of the gospel, that bringing the power and the authority of your kingdom into our lives and through our lives. And let sober thinking prevail, that we would never be dulled by intoxication ever again. And let a sober people 
be the blood-bought, spirit-filled force of the kingdom of heaven here on the earth right now. And let it bring you honor and glory as we begin to intercede, as we begin to minister, as we begin to praise and worship with thanksgiving, as we begin to walk in the calling and the anointing and the purpose that you've so richly blessed us with. We bless your name and we thank you for this mighty and powerful work. We rejoice in your goodness and we ask that you be honored and glorified as we live out our lives in truth. In the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.